Well, thank you for listening. I am that one guy in Sunday school talking this week about Esther, the fantastical story of a fantastical woman, a great uncle, and a whole lot of awesome eunuchs. <laughs> yep, that's what we're doing here this week, that one guy in Sunday school. So the story of Esther begins with tragedy. The story of people brought into a strange country at the sword. Punishment would presumably be death if you don't come with the Babylonians. And so they do. And then what do you know? God can turn a really crummy situation into something quite fantastic. That is how God works in Offit scenes. God takes the worst of all things that you could possibly imagine and turns them into something you would never expect and that you probably wouldn't trade anything for ever. Mordecai, in the beginning, is just a guy living in the city or citadel of Susa. He ends the story as the second most powerful person in the Persian Empire, the most powerful empire in the world at that time. Probably the most powerful up in world history up till that time, that I know of at least. Esther begins as just a young girl and ends as a powerful queen. But how did we get from point A to point B in this story? And what are the highlights that you should take away to inspire your daily life? Well, I read, or maybe I should say listened, because I like audio scriptures, to the story of Esther several times this week, and here's what I've got for you. First of all, the power of fasting. Yes, that abstinence from something you enjoy or need in order to gain something more important. So when Esther found out about this decree by the evil Haman to destroy the Jews, Mordecai tells her straight up what she has to do. She had to go to the king and find a way to get this repealed. And of course, we all know the punishment for going to the king, if not summoned, was death. So Esther was in this predicament and she asked for not just her uncle, all of them too fast for three days, no food and water. I'm not quite sure how one survives that because I was always told that you need water or else you'll die within three days. I don't want to get nitpicky on the details, but the fact is all the Jews in this city were fasting for Esther. So you can take that away and say, when bad times hit, one of our first reactions maybe should be to fast. Now, I say this as someone of a hypocrite because I have been terrible at fasting for the past few years. However, by coincidence, around this, this week, when I was studying Esther, I got a call from someone at church saying that a wonderful sister in my congregation had gone into the intensive care unit at a local hospital. Hit like a ton of books because I love this lady's granddaughter. I see her every Sunday. She's six years old and super cute and super well-behaved. And I'm like, wow, she must have a great grandmother that's raising her. So it was really sad when this lady went into the hospital. And the bishop of the congregation said, everybody, please fast tomorrow for her. And I hadn't fasted in over a year, more than that, actually. So I was getting this and I was like, Geez, I haven't fasted in forever, but I should do it. This lady, this lady's awesome, and she needs God's help right now. And 
So that day to fast was actually work day for me. And I am like Cookie Monster. I need my food. I need my snacks. So I was like, well, how am I going to do this and still be a functional employee? Because I feel like that's also important. You know, God uh, wants us to please our earthly employers to the extent we can. So I decided, all right, I'm not going to do the full three-day Esther fast. <laughs> I'm going to fast breakfast today. So what I did, you can laugh if you want, if you're used to fasting two meals, maybe I'm the wimp, but I did, and I noticed a change in me, a really powerful change, in that I was starving all morning. <laughs> the other change I noticed was that I felt a little more connected to God. And I felt an increased sense of kind of love and concern for the sister that I was fasting for. <clears throat> I could feel that my strength as a human being was diminished greatly. And I was hoping and I was praying that God would give that strength that I was missing to her. And I'm now proud to say that she is improving. And I hope to see her again at church soon. So fasting was a central aspect to the story of Esther. Mordecai, in his time of danger, and all the Jews wore sackcloth, put ashes on his head. He was fasting. He was doing everything possible to plead for God's mercy. Other than fasting, another great aspect of this story that we can take away is seeing the big picture. Mordecai was a master of this. It is a shame, I think, that we do not recognize Mordecai as something more than just a nice guy. Because I swear, this guy had the insight level of, like, a, a prophet. Because when Esther is explaining how dangerous it's going to be for her to talk to the king, he says, in effect, you're going to die with the rest of the Jews. Well, you'll die with this decree. But the rest of the Jews will somehow, in some way, through God's providence, survive. Enlargement or deliverance will arise from another place, he says. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. He knew that God's people were critical to God's plan of salvation. That his grand scheme for us on earth needed the Jews to survive. So he knew, even if Esther failed, God would make sure that the majority of the Jews would survive that event somehow. He had no idea how, but it would happen. But Esther probably wouldn't because she failed that mission. He saw the big picture in a way that very few other people can. So what's the big picture in your life? What is the big picture five years from now for you? What do we have faith in that's going to happen regardless? Well, you know, that is something I would challenge you to think about this week as you study Esther. What else can you learn from Esther? There are people in your life that are critical to your success, and they deserve some appreciation. It stood out to me this week studying Esther, and this almost made me laugh, that the eunuchs in the palace were the unsung heroes. They were in a rather unfortunate circumstance, I suppose, in that they had been made eunuchs to serve the king of Persia. 
But if you read the story closely, they're the ones relaying all the messages and doing all the right things. Look, they were in a yeah, they were in a bad situation. Like I said, uh, they would never have kids, but they were the glue that kept the other characters together. When Esther and Mordecai are talking in the story, they're very rarely talking directly, because she's in the queen's section of the palace. I don't know where that is. And Mordecai's out there in the city somewhere. And there's messengers, eunuch messengers, throughout the whole thing. They're, like I said, the glue of the story. So who's the glue in your life? Is it someone in your family that's always there doing the things you need them to do and maybe doesn't get the appreciation they deserve? You know, mothers are often the unsung heroes of most people's lives. Perhaps there are others for you, but... Make sure to give a thank you and a shout out to the ones who are making your life possible, but maybe not in the most glamorous of ways. If you're wondering what else you can get from the story of Esther, I would say give it a shot and read it. I don't get every insight in the world. In fact, I only get a small minority of them. But if you study this week, you can figure out the insight, the, the little tidbit from that story that God wants you to have to improve your life, help you become a better follower of Jesus Christ. And with that being said, I'm that one guy in Sunday school, and I'll be back next week.